0: I have uh, been for some time, as you know, uh, talking about uh, something that I feel like we're deficient in. Um, Certainly we could all do better, and that's in the aspect of witnessing. There's a handout that's coming to you. Isaac is getting it to you. And um, while I was uh, down and out, I wrote some things down that uh, I want to share with you tonight. Because it's always kind of bothered me as to what happened in my life when I was 10 years old that did not save me. I was uh, in church. I knew all of the lingo and I knew the songs and I knew all of that kind of stuff. I was the kid that would answer the questions the right way in Sunday school and RAs. Any of you remember RAs? And all of those kind of things. And uh, I liked being in church and I liked being involved in church. I always admired preachers. And uh, there were a lot of times when um, we'd be having a revival and the evangelists would come over to our house to eat. And I loved listening to their stories. I loved being around them and uh, that type of thing. I didn't uh, fight and kick and scream much about having to go to church. And my parents had us in church every time the doors were open uh, you might say and that's literally true and uh, I was in a lot of different churches being a military brat uh, I, uh, I know I've told you before between kindergarten and graduating high school I was in 12 different schools well I probably wasn't in quite that many churches because uh, sometimes the school would change you know, locally but the church wouldn't I do remember, though, that uh, I would rather go to a new school than a new church. Uh, those, that was not always the easiest place. And I just would like to ask you guys to think about this. Whenever you see a new person, or uh, even when somebody comes back to church that's been absent for a while, please don't walk up to them and go, well, where have you been? Are you still in the church now? What's your name? And do that kind of stuff. That's so off-putting. Because what we want to do if somebody comes back that's been absent for a while, we want to open the doors and make them feel welcome and um, don't, don't do that kind of stuff. It's not really all that funny, and sometimes it's kind of off-putting to them, and we don't want to do that. But also for guests, when you see somebody that comes in and they're sitting by themselves, That's an emergency. You need to leave your friends and go to them. That's something that we want to do in terms of bonding them, making sure that they can find their way out or find their way to the nursery or the restrooms or anything like that. It's called just being hospitable. And uh, I remember that a lot of the churches that we went to, whenever we would get transferred, were not like that at all. And uh, sometimes, especially as a kid, you felt really awkward going into a Sunday school class or back in those days we had training union to one of those classes and you didn't know where to sit you didn't know what to do and I'm pretty sure I've told you this before but uh, when I was in uh, my freshman year of high school we moved to Oklahoma and uh, we went to a church where all of the youth sat in the back and so I went and kind of sat where they sat and when all of them came in it was a big group They were all kind of looking awkwardly around, and then one of them finally came up and said, hey, there's not enough room here. Would you mind moving? And uh, then they wondered why I didn't do anything with the youth for a year. Uh, It's amazing how rude church people can be. And it's amazing how, because we know where things like, you know how we use things um, in churches like, we're going to meet in the old auditorium. Well, to somebody who's new, it's not an old auditorium. It's whatever it is, and uh, we've got to be careful about not just making them feel completely awkward and and shut out, and they're not in the know, and they don't know what's going on, and we need to make sure we escort them, make sure that even if it's a men's meeting or a women's meeting, that they have a place to sit. Don't leave it for them just to find it on their own. Uh, You can offer, and they may turn you down and say, no, I'm sitting with so-and-so over here, but at least you offered, and it shows a lot of friendship. And it's just going out of the way to be extra careful uh, in hospitality to all of them and think about what it must be like to be a new person and not to know how to get around the building, not to know where things are, not to know the lingo, not to know where to sit. We've got to really do well at that, that type of thing. And... Um, when I think about going to church, I remember some of those awkward moments, but it didn't take long. I was pretty outgoing when I was a kid and uh, made friends pretty easily, that type of stuff. But when I was 10 years old, getting back to my uh, original thing, I walked an aisle, and uh, I, I don't know what I did after that. I, I honestly do not know what I did after that, but I did what they told me, and uh, that was kind of in my nature. I think uh, when you grow up as a military brat, you're either going to be extremely rebellious or you're just going to follow orders. Um, We never got a choice as to where we were going to live, how long we were going to live there. They picked out our quarters for us, and uh, wherever the quarters were located, that's where you went to school and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I grew up that way, and so I'm sure I was that way at church too. What am I supposed to do? Do this, 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 and this? You know, yes, sir. You know, I'll do that. But I don't remember any of it. Uh, so, what I'm going to say here tonight in this introduction is, um, on my part, a little bit of guesswork. But then again, maybe not. Because if everything had been right when I was 10 years old, I know this for sure the Lord would have saved me. But He didn't. But He didn't. And it always kind of bothered me. What in the world? Uh, Happened on all of that so as I began to pray about it think about it and using what I could remember what I know happened and also kind of what I'm guessing didn't happen or I would have remembered it I've got a fairly good memory at least I did then and I thought about this the first thing that seemed to be different between my true conversion at 22 and my false conversion at 10 was uh, this I was not convicted of sin when I was 10 years old. Now, if you had asked me, are you a sinner, I would have said yes. But I didn't really get it. I didn't really see it. I didn't really feel it. It wasn't really any kind of a burden in my heart at all. And uh, maybe some people might say, well, maybe you were just too young. No, I know people who were saved younger than that. And uh, God genuinely saved them and changed their life. I'm just saying for me, I was not under the burden and the guilt that I had broken God's law and was heading to hell. I think it was more like I was doing what I needed to do to be initiated into the club. And that club, the church, was a part of our life. And I can, I can remember one thing while I was walking down the aisle toward the pastor thinking... This will make them happy. This will make them happy. And uh, I don't think I was being hypocritical. I was not trying to fool anybody. I was not trying to be a fake. I was trying to join the club, join the organization. And uh, I was trying to please my parents and other people. uh, That was on my mind. And I genuinely thought I was doing the right thing. But when I was 22, I remember the weight of my sin hit me like running into a Mack truck. And um, somebody better walk in here tonight. And we said, hey, glad to see you. Glad, you, glad you're here. Where, where'd you come from? And they said, well, I was out here in 104th. I was walking across, and I was run over by an 18-wheeler. And we look at them, and their hair is in place. Their skin looks good. Their clothes are not wrinkled. We would look at them and say... How in the world do you survive being hit by that truck without any evidence of it? And I'm afraid that's what a lot of times it happens to kids who grow up in church, and that's what happened to me. I really didn't have any change in my life because I really was not convicted that I was all that bad. After all, I knew all the answers, and I'd heard my dad say I knew more of the gospel when I was four than he knew when he was 20. Um, I remember being a little kid and being able to recite all of the books of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That, that's the kind of stuff that I knew. I would listen to stories, and like I said before, I knew the lingo. I could answer the questions. Um, I really did study my Sunday school lesson and was ready and, and all of those kind of things. But the conviction of sin was never really there until I was 22 so that's the first thing that I would think about and uh, we'll speak about that a little bit more as we move on the second thing that I'm just not real sure about and I think I would remember this is an incomplete gospel I don't remember them saying anything at least anything that impacted me about repentance or faith or the cross Or anything like that. But then again, I'm the kid who knew all that. I probably could have told them how it all happened. I probably could have told the counselor, whoever counseled me, whatever it was they needed to know. But I do remember in that particular church, and I don't think anybody meant anything bad by this, but I do remember being like in fourth and fifth grade and having a Sunday school teacher say, you know, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Uh, There wasn't any explanation as to why I needed to do that or even exactly what that was. But as I've grown older, I've come to understand the idea of telling someone, well, you need to ask Jesus into your heart, is not the gospel. It's not the complete gospel for sure. Um, The Lord coming to live within you through the Holy Spirit may be a result of salvation, but it's not the cause. And I can remember thinking about Jesus, the way I pictured him. I mean, I'd seen all the pictures and the stained glass. And, and by the way, if that's your view of Jesus, it's really inadequate because uh, that guy is a European and Jesus is not a European. He didn't look anything like that. And, uh, you know, I pictured him being outside of the door, in the cold, lonely... And uh, boy, I could really make a difference in his life if I would just open up the door. And I'd been told that there's no handle on the door except on the inside. So where was the power in all of that? Certainly wasn't in the hands of the Lord. And uh, it was in my hands. And the change that would take place is the Lord could come in out of the cold into my nice, warm, safe heart. And uh, he could be in there. And I could change his life. You hearing that? I could change Jesus from being an outsider to being an insider. I could change him from being lonely and out there to coming in and being a friend of mine. And I could invite him into my heart. When I look at that now, I cringe. Because I think about it and it's all backwards. It puts the emphasis on me. It puts the power in my hands and it means that I'm doing something that will benefit the Lord and that's completely opposite of anything you find in the Bible about the true gospel. And yet that's what was said all the time. I remember reading tracts and at the back of it it says if you want to go to heaven you need to pray this prayer. Now there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer or somebody guiding you in a prayer unless you trust in that. Unless it's not the true um, I guess the true intent of your heart, uh, you're just repeating words. A parrot could do that. And I remember uh, one time thinking, well, I want to go to heaven and uh, praying a prayer that was in the back of those tracks and it's, oh, Lord, I open up my heart to you. Please come in and, you know, all of that type of stuff. And so there again, a man-centered uh, gospel where I had all the power and I was doing something for God and I was sort of, you know, in control of all of that. Uh, I guess we could probably name maybe about 10 doctrines, cardinal doctrines that that would violate. And so the gospel was incomplete. I remember one of my Sunday school teachers having us hold our hands up like this and bowing our heads and singing, Into my heart. Into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I told you I had a good memory. But that's what I remember. Is that what I must do to be saved? Or every kid in that class got saved when we sang the song. No, no. There was an incomplete gospel, nothing about sin, nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, nothing like that that I remember. But oh, do I remember that song and remember being taught things like that? And sometimes uh, maybe that's the answer to, um, in my situation, I've done a lot of funerals over the years, and I remember going to uh, one person's house, meeting with their family, And uh, this person was just, you know, horrible in the way that they lived, in the way that they treated other people, treated their parents into drugs and alcohol and uh, all kinds of sexual activity and just hostile toward all of the things of God. And the family's sitting there telling me all of that. And as a young pastor, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? How do you preach a funeral like that? that I'll never forget his mom saying, but one thing we know, out of all of that life, we do know that he was saved. Perked up. How do you know he's saved? Because he, she put it this way, prayed the prayer when he was eight years old. Uh, That's heartbreaking to me. Heartbreaking to me. And the reason it's heartbreaking to me is because I very easily, apart from the grace of God, could have been that person. I prayed the prayer, I knew the answers, but man, I could live any way that I wanted to live because I'd been told that this means you're saved and the Lord will never leave you. And so it's like, whoa, good. You know, get out of jail, free card. I can do whatever I want now. An incomplete gospel. And I wonder how many times we tell people something assuming that they know, assuming that they understand. And maybe that's what happened to me. Maybe they said, Some things, assuming that I got it when I really didn't. Um, We've got to be careful about all of that. There's there's a way that uh, the Bible tells us to share our faith that uh, doesn't give us a prescribed outline. You can use whatever you want as long as it's biblical and as long as it shares the gospel accurately. So that was uh, another thing. And uh, then as I kind of agonized over it and thought about it, It it dawned on me. Jesus made it really clear. No one can come to the Father except the Spirit draws him. And I think that's what it really boils down to. I think I had some good intentions. I think I had some thoughts about things. And other people did too. Nobody was doing anything to try to be subversive or treasonous or perverting the gospel. It wasn't anything like that at all. People were doing the best they knew how to do and i was doing the best i knew how to do but uh, without the holy spirit well the bible says that the things of god are spiritually discerned and they can't be um, understood by the natural mind and i had a natural mind i did what made sense to me and what they told me to do and uh, yet it was devoid of the spirit i wasn't drawn by the lord but oh when i was 22 it was a completely different thing. And uh, you talk about the irresistible grace of God. Man, did that ever happen. And uh, everything was completely different. And so I want to uh, try to encourage you with this and also alert you a little bit with this. It's far too easy, especially with children, to kind of uh, manipulate too hard of a word, because I don't think anybody meant to do that, and yet that's kind of what happened. I was sort of manipulated into doing what I needed to do there without really understanding it or anything like that. You get a group of kids together, and this is why we're so careful during vacation Bible school. I mean, I could meet with the kids in their different grades. How many of you want to go to heaven? And all of them would raise their hand. Okay, then pray this, and that'll take care of it. And sometimes you, well, let me back up and take the the word sometimes away and just say this, you would be surprised at how many churches approach the evangelism of children in just that way. Now, I'm, I'm not stupid. I understand that you do have to change your vocabulary and maybe your approach a little bit, but the essentials of the gospel have to be there, and it has to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's uh, kind of my uh, testimony as to why I did all of the things I thought I was supposed to do and probably did everything they told me to do, and yet I was not saved. And so uh, that's something that ought to encourage you because I did get saved later on. And let's just say that if the person who counseled me did give me uh, maybe a better gospel than I remember, well, that was a seed planted. That was a seed watered in my life, and it came to fruition when I was 22 years old. Now, to be fair, when I think about all of my life, and I think about what I didn't understand when I was 10, and I think about what I did understand When I was 22, it's far different than what I understand today. I've grown in my understanding of the gospel and the word of God. And I continue to grow in that and continue to be amazed at what Christ has done for me. And I continue to be amazed at how good the good news really is. Uh, Before it was just missing hell. Now it's so much richer And so much more wonderful when I think about the love and the mercy of Christ in my life and what He did for me on the cross and what He has done for me since then. So those are the three things that kind of hit me on that. But I want to kind of give you a goal. The goal in witnessing is to proclaim God's message in God's way. And anything short of that is going to be an inadequate thing and... Sometimes I think it frustrates people. Why is it that I share the good news of Christ and this person leads people to the Lord and none of the people I witness to get saved? Okay. Well, the answer to that is because it doesn't really have anything to do with you or that other person. It is a work of God. And when you get to heaven, you might find out that you were much more effective than you ever thought you were. But your assignment... And what God allowed you to do was to plant and scatter a lot of seeds. Maybe you're not involved in the harvest, but you'll be rewarded for scattering the seed. Maybe you watered the seed. And so when the harvester comes along and says, oh, I led this person to Christ, maybe it really wasn't because of them. Obviously, it's the work of the Lord. But maybe it was God using you to be a planter or to be a waterer and someone else to be a reaper. And Paul said, so then he who plants is nothing and he who waters is nothing, but it's God who gives the increase, which means all the glory is supposed to go to God. And I think sometimes we are pinning medals on the wrong people when um, we don't understand that that person who was able to reap the harvest did it because somebody planted and somebody watered. And you may have a role role to play as a planter or a waterer, but that doesn't mean you're second rate at all. The harvest can't come in unless the seed is planted and unless the seed is watered. So the goal is for all of us, together as a church and as a team and fulfilling whatever role we get to proclaim God's message and to do it in God's ways. So I'd like to uh, spend a little bit of time, the remaining time, and talk about some motivations for witnessing and some of you a lot of you are going to know all of these things but maybe you need to have the gift that's been given to you stirred up and have the fans flamed a little bit some of you may be at a point in your life to where there may be a thing or two in here that you go well I've never really thought about that it'll be something for you to pray about and will help you in your sanctification so let's talk about it number one the motivation is it's a command It's a command. And I understand that for some people, that's easy. See, for me, a command is motivating. I grew up in a military environment, a military family. You follow commands. You follow protocol. You follow the rules. So that hits me, and I, yes, sir, I want to follow the command. Some of you may be bent a little bit more rebellious to where you say, hey, if you tell me I have to do it, I'm not doing it. We had a guy at one church I was at uh, where I was on staff and he became a deacon and part of the role of a deacon he was required to come to church visitation and he just wouldn't do it. And then he left our church and went to another church and he started going out visiting every week. What's up with that? And one of his kids that still went to our church asked him and he said, well, because nobody's telling me I have to. That's kind of rebellious, isn't it? And uh, the command of God, of course, is found in Matthew 28:19 and 20. "Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's the command of the Lord. To all believers everywhere, we are supposed to be the goers and the tellers and the disciplers as we help them. It's all part of the Great Commission. So think about that. But number two would be this. How about just love for Jesus? Don't you talk about the things and the people that you love? But it gets even rougher than that because 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In fact, we do what I said in uh, the second in this series. It's an honor to serve your king. It's an honor to witness. And John says that's a proof of our love. So if you are not a witness, you need to, number one, take a look and see if you're genuinely born again. And secondly, if you are, then you need to look at your love for the Lord Jesus Christ because you, if you love Him, you keep His commandments and it's a joy to be able to keep His commandments. The third thing is simply this. It's the will of God. In John chapter 4, uh, verse 34 through 38, this is Jesus talking about His experience with the woman at the well where He witnessed to her of Himself and He was very bold as He did that. And uh, he makes this statement to his disciples. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his works. And right after that, he goes into a very famous missionary and evangelistic verse. Right there. I mean, it's connected together. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You think about that, and why would Jesus tie that together? Because he's trying to get across to us, and we are just dull of hearing sometimes. It's not that he has trouble getting it across, we have trouble hearing. That the harvest is already here, and the harvest is the will of God That's the food that Jesus spoke of. He was evangelizing this woman and ended up evangelizing this Samaritan village. And um, this is just an amazing thing. And most of the time, I find those verses are separated. We hear the appeal, the fields are white, ready to be harvested, but we don't see it in the context of what Jesus just did and what we are supposed to do as well. And so we uh, think about these things and we wonder, do we really function and walk in the will of God? We always say we want to be in the will of God, but why is it we think the will of God is do I marry this person or this person, do I take this job or anything like that? And we forget that it is just as much the will of God. If we're going to live in the will of God and be blessed by Him, then uh, we've got to be evangelizing, sharing our faith every time we get an opportunity. Now, um, when you think about this, what was the difference between what I experienced as a kid and what I tried to do now? And that is the fact that my evangelism that I received when I was a kid, it seems to me to be very man-centered, where the Bible produces a very, uh, or shows us a very God-centered, centered evangelism and so when you think about God-centered evangelism let's talk about what that means it means we do it first of all and you got a blank to fill in on this glorifying God and uh, sometimes we think about oh I don't want people to go to hell well you should care about that well I just love them so much and you should love them so much but what is the greatest motivation for witnessing it is that God may be glorified in saving a sinner. And whenever you have the opportunity to witness to someone, I tell you the glory of God is there, whether you lead them to the Lord or not. When you water, the glory of God is there. And when you are able to see a sinner repent, turn from their sins, and trust in Christ to be born again, the glory of God is there. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that Here's our responsibility, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that would include witnessing. Do all to the glory of God. It's not so much about the person or us or the church or anything like that. It's got to go higher, higher than that to the glory of God. And uh, we've also got to proclaim God's holiness and power. You see, what I was taught when I was a kid, that wasn't a very holy or powerful Jesus. He was a very needy and poor and somewhat weak Jesus that needed me to fix his situation. And that's not what the Bible tells us about God at all. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, there is none holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Uh, you think about that, and you think about, how amazing it is that we get to represent the Lord and we get to share Him with other people and we get to uh, be a part of His eternal plan from before the foundation of the world, in fact. Um, And we get to be in on that because the Lord is a holy Lord and He is a powerful Lord And we get the privilege of representing Him. And we don't come at that from a point of weakness, but from a point of strength. Jesus said in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always. And that means in that time when your heart is quivering and your knees are knocking together and your palms are sweaty and your tongue is kind of stuttering a little bit and you're scared to death on all of that, you need to remember the Lord is with you at that time. Okay? Look at the next thing. It shows man's true condition. True condition. Sometimes we act as though, you know, you're really okay, but you would be a little bit better. In fact, I heard a pastor give an invitation like that. You men in the back who are not saved, you're good men, he said, but you'd be a little bit better if you would give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. There's nothing good about any of us. Paul said, even as a Christian, I know that in my flesh there dwells no good thing. And we forget about that, and that's true about the people to whom we are witnessing. They are lost. They're dead in trespasses and sins. And uh, remember Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes I hear people witness and nothing about sin ever comes up. It's more like join the club. Be a part of the group that I'm in, you know. You can be just the way you are and you can go to heaven too. Isn't that great? And Isn't that wonderful? And nothing could be further from the truth. We are sinners separated from God and under the judgment and the wrath of God. John 3, 17 says, He who does not believe is condemned Already, They're not waiting for it. They're already under it. And so were you until the Lord by His grace came to you and removed that condemnation. Okay? Here's another thing. Boy, this is a big deal when I was a kid. It proclaims the Lordship of Jesus. I can remember hearing people like Pat Boone and others like that share their testimony and maybe we would show it with a film projector in the church. And I remember hearing him say... Gave a date, and he said, On that date I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. But in such a date, and I think it was 1971, I received Jesus as Lord. That is an abject biblical impossibility. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. And in order to be saved, we have to surrender to him as Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Is that right? Well, it says something else in there that I left out. Okay? We've got to confess Jesus as Lord. If you will confess with your mouth, look, the Lord Jesus. The first thing that the Apostle Paul did on the way to Damascus when he encountered Christ When he found out who he was, he said, "...what will you have me do?" There was a surrender to the will and to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lordship of Christ is necessary for salvation, and yet so many times we never even mention anything about that. A God-centered evangelism also calls for repentance. Now repentance is a change of mind, yeah, but it's also a change of action. It's turning from our sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's what we need to be telling people. You've got to repent of your sin. Now, in this culture, they don't know what that means, so you're going to have to tell them. And they've got to do more than just clean up their life or leave their sin. Anybody can stop drinking if they want to badly enough. Anybody can stop cussing if they want to badly enough. Repentance is to turn from sin. That's good. But it's turning to Christ, to His death, burial, resurrection, lordship, all of that. And also, God-centered evangelism stresses the cross and the resurrection. I had an assignment in an evangelism class where we were evaluating gospel tracts. And I thought, what what are we going to do in that? Until I got to looking at them. Uh, Folks, you would be amazed at the number of gospel tracts that didn't even mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was kind of appalling when I found out how many there were and so uh, since then, I look at tracts to see, do they present Jesus properly? Do they talk about his death, burial, and resurrection and present him as Lord of all? And uh, you've got to be careful about that. But I've also heard people witness who don't ever get to anything like that. They'll talk about Jesus loves you, God loves you. There's a better way. There's a home in heaven. You need to trust him. And they never mention why that he should be trusted. Because you're a sinner and he died in your place to take the wrath of God for you. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day he arose from the grave and he is alive forevermore and has been exalted by his father to sit at the right hand of the father as Lord of all. And you've got to surrender to him and trust in him. In fact, Paul said in First Corinthians 15, 1-3, Moreover brethren I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received and in which you stand by which also you were saved if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain kind of like I did and he says in verse 3 for I delivered to you that first of all that which you which I also received that here's the gospel Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And we can't leave that out. We've got to tell them the whole story, the whole story. Someone said, uh, I think it was Vance Havner, evangelism is Christianity in action. He said that evangelism is to Christianity what the veins are to our earthly bodies. You can cut Christianity anywhere and it'll bleed evangelism. Evangelism is the vascular. It's our business. Talk about majoring on evangelism and you might as well uh, talk about a doctor majoring in healing. That's our business And I think sometimes we forget that that is what our business really is. We get so busy working at the church that we don't do the work of the church. I also included a quote at the bottom of your paper. And I'd like for you to take it and read it and consider it about the new cross. And if uh, Tozer, I think it is, that said that, if he wrote about that back probably in the 40s, Can you imagine what he would say about today? Come and you won't be lonely anymore. Pray this prayer and you'll have healing and prosperity in your life. And on and on and on it goes. As though we have to make it somehow appealing and we have to sell it. And we're no more than just like carnival barkers. Come see the whatever over here in this tent. The sideshow. And Jesus deserves so much more than that. Because he is our Lord. He is our king. He is the creator and the ruler and the master of the universe. He's the one who gave his life so that sinners like us could be saved. And he does it so that the father might be glorified in him. We need to do this as an act of worship. And we need to do this with all seriousness. It was popular when I was a teenager. to God is like Coca-Cola. He's the real thing. You can't compare Coke with God. And that almost magnifies the Coke part of it more than the God. God is above and beyond our description. And so let's make a commitment tonight to ask the Lord to give us opportunities to witness. And number two, by His Holy Spirit and by His Word to teach us how to give God's message in God's ways. Let's be wise Let's be discerning. And even in the things we hand out to people, I would encourage you to hand out tracts to people. That's a great way to get started in all of this. But make sure that the tract tells the whole story and make sure that it represents and presents your God in the way that He deserves to be presented. And let's not be haphazard about any of this, but let's be faithful. We've got a training manual. When you join the military, they train you they train you. And it's by the book. By the book. And we are soldiers of the king. Let's do it by the book. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? And I want you to take a moment and pour your heart out to God. And tell him that you want to be a witness for Christ. You want to be obedient. But also tell him that you want to do it right. You want to be faithful as you do this. And ask Him to give you opportunities and ask Him also to teach you. If He's commanded it and the Holy Spirit's job is to be our teacher, then certainly He's more interested in teaching us how to do this than we are even in learning. And then think about somebody that's on your heart who's lost. And ask God to give you an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them and to open your eyes to the fact that the fields are white and they're ready to be harvested. Let's not act like everything is against us. If God be for us, who can be against us? And He is actually with you in that time when you are witnessing, when you are sharing your faith. That's His promise. Father, we submit this to you For the glory of God, in Jesus' name, do as it pleases you to do in your church, which would be to make us consistent, powerful, effective, fruit-bearing witnesses for Christ. Help us to remember our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in you your presence, your word, your gospel, your work on the cross, your resurrection, make us confident in the right areas to present you as you deserve to be presented before a lost and dying world. And may many, many people come to know Jesus Christ through what we do with this information tonight. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.